can have your finger in Leviticus 23 and another one in John chapter 7 because we're going to be considering uh, both of these, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, there's something about uh, building huts which uh, everybody, at least at some stage of their lives, enjoys. When we were kids, uh, we used to spend uh, quite a large proportion of our, our time in holidays building huts. Uh, some of them were, were very flimsy, a lot more flimsy than that. Uh, others were, were fairly robust constructions. I remember one that had furniture inside and linoleum on the floor, and uh, my dad had made a, a little concrete a plinth at the entrance and had encouraged uh, my brother and I to put our initials and the date in the concrete. And I remember spending many happy hours crushing raspberries and adding the, the raspberry juice to American cream soda to make a kind of raspberry drink, which we thought was brilliant, which was never in any danger of threatening uh, Schweppes or bars. But we got a lot of fun out of doing that. And a couple of weeks ago, I visited the allotments on Blair Road, and they are truly amazing also. Uh, every manner of fruit and vegetable being grown in these allotments. And I met a lot of nice people and came away with a bag of tomatoes. So it was a well worthwhile visit. And what's remarkable is that most of the, the folks that have got an allotment have also got a hut. Uh, they have a hut, and many of them with a facility for brewing up some tea. So there you have it. Something I, I got completely. Uh, growing your own food, helping other kindred spirits, and enjoying your own hut. There's a little bit of the wee boy and the wee girl inside every one of us. And this past week has actually been the Feast of Tabernacles. Christian Witness to Israel were uh, using this as a point of contact with the Jewish community in this past week. Uh, it was one of the big three festivals. Uh, it was one of those feasts where every Jewish male was expected to go to Jerusalem and attend. Uh, but in many ways, this was the big one. This was the gala festival. This was the one that could be legitimately uh, designated the feast. So in John 7, uh, where we're told that Jesus spoke at the feast, it's referring to the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the, the prime festival. And I think that what made the Feast of Tabernacles so popular was that you got to build huts at the festival. Uh, the idea was that the huts or booths were a reminder of the time when the Israelites were in the desert and they wandered around in temporary houses. Now, that was great fun. If you were a kid going up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it had all the elements of a great outing. If you lived in the country, uh, you made a, a longest journey along with all the pilgrims to Jerusalem. And so you have to think of this great mass of, of humanity winding their way through all the roads that led up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was high up, so you were, you were ascending your way. And because you were ascending, you sang the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 113 to 118. And there was, all, there was singing on the way. And uh, you were going with your cousins. You were meeting up with cousins you hadn't maybe seen for some time. 
And mum and dad were in a good mood because the first and the, the last days of the feast, you weren't allowed to work. There's no regular labour allowed. And of course, you looked forward to good food. This was a, a festival uh, that gave thanks to God. And so people took food uh, to offer to God, but also they were able to participate in that food. Uh, they were able to have shared meals afterwards. It was a fantastic time. And it is a reminder to us straight away that uh, the, the life of the believer is a life in which we are called to great joy. And God commands the people to rejoice in his presence and provides for them every ingredient to rejoice. Song, food, company, friendship, a great journey and building huts. Every element of a great time. And it's a, a thing that we uh, have to remember that these times in our Christian lives are important. We were reflecting on the, the big free rally and the fact that uh, we had, I don't know, 17 of our own uh, folks went up in the bus and joined uh, hundreds of other young people uh, who go to free churches across the land and have been to church camp or are involved in, in outreaches of different kind. And what an encouragement that is to be with lots of other young people who want to follow Jesus. To know that even although you may be on your own at school in going to church and believing, or in your, your sports team, you may have others who make fun of you because you believe that there are many others who believe as you do and who follow the Lord Jesus. And so, although there was a lot of preparation and effort into it, how worthwhile was that to happen yesterday? And everything about it, the bus journey, the stopping at McDonald's, the meeting with people who had been at camp, every element, so much parallel, the whole movement of the Feast of Tabernacles. God commands our joy. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles looked back to the wilderness, but it also looked forward. It looked forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit and to the renewal of the earth by God. And it's saying, in effect, three thank yous, and we're going to look at each uh, in turn. Thank you for the harvest. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you for hope. First of all, then, thank you for the harvest. Festival of Tabernacles was a harvest festival. And it coincided with the time when the olive and the grape and the pomegranate and the figs had all been gathered in. The next stage would be the sowing of cereal crops, uh, which were sown as, as winter cereals. Uh, so they would be sown, wheat and barley would be sown in November. And for successful crops, they needed the early rains to fall uh, so that the soil would be moist enough to allow the seed to germinate. Therefore, it was a time to realise that they depended on God. It was God who sends the rain, God who controls the seasons, just as he is in control over every detail of our lives, our health, 
our wealth, our whole story is in his gracious control. After the flood in Genesis, God promises that if the earth endures, so long as the earth endures, there will be seed time and harvest. And as a a reminder of that, he places the rainbow in the sky. The rainbow is our sign. The rainbow is a sign that God is a covenant God. He keeps his promise and he is a covenant of the earth. He will never destroy it. He will continue to send the seasons of seed and harvest time. So it's good for us in all of the the busyness of our lives to, to pause and to remind ourselves how it is our food arrives in our table and to give thanks to God for providing. Uh, this was an unusual year uh, on Scottish farms. The, the dry weather that we had uh, in summer was good for grain, and there were yet record yields of cereals. But the same dry weather meant that grass yields were lower than normal, and so uh, there is a scarcity of fodder on some farms at the present. And there are concerns about what will happen to our farmers and food producers when we exit uh, the European Union. Some are afraid that we will rely on food imports and that it will be a time of chaos and job loss. (coughs) It's a worrying time uh, for uh, farmers because it is so uncertain. And I hope that our politicians will support them and will realise that uh, we have depended upon these very people in times of uncertainty. But we should never lose sight of the fact that The world as a whole is amazingly productive. And even although our population globally has increased, we are able to sustain this population. The problem uh, with food poverty is one of sharing rather than any inability to produce food. And some of the most significant activities that we do are connected with growing and preparing food and eating our food together. And the Bible often presents God's people uh, either growing food and think of people like uh, Noah and Ruth and Boaz and Solomon and Amos and King Isaiah, the man of the soil. Think of the parables of Jesus uh, which are largely uh, centered on uh, the growing of food. And Jesus uh, witnessing with others, which were to others, and sharing the, the good news of the kingdom, which very often took place around the sharing of food. And so we have uh, a, a picture of God desiring people to share their food with thankfulness. And the ideal Israelite, the idealized picture of the the Israelite is the one who sits under his own fig tree, satisfied in God's provision. At night, as we've been going through the book of Exodus, we've been taking note of the the seriousness of complaining, how grumbling is is a sin. And in the uh, Exodus wandering, Uh, the sin of grumbling centers around food. And sometimes it wasn't so much that they they lacked food, because when God gave them manna, uh, they began to crave other kinds of food. Uh, There's a dissatisfaction with what God 
had given. Eating thankfully is a religious act. Saying grace before our meals is something which, as Christians, when we do that, it's hugely significant. We're acknowledging, and, and maybe often in front of others who, who don't believe in our God, we're acknowledging that we are receiving this as a gift from God. We thank you, Lord, for this food. And then we often ask the Lord to bless the food to us. Uh, we want God to bless it so that it nourishes our body. And what we're acknowledging then is that every... <laughs> Every aspect of the well-being that comes from food is dependent on God. He is the God of the digestive system. He is the God who uh, so brings the enzymes in our stomach to operate on the food that the, the energy and the, all of the goodness of the food that we consume is blessed to our bodies. We acknowledge him in every aspect of his goodness. It's been said that eating is an agricultural act because it's the one thing that connects everybody with the production of food. But eating is a religious act. It's an act of worship because it acknowledges God as the great giver. Feast of Tabernacles is thanking God for the harvest, also thanking God for homes. Because uh, if you spend a week living in a hut, you realize how blessed you are to have at solid walls and not to have to move around all the time. And the, the people were being reminded by the hut building that for 40 years their ancestors had moved around in tents in the wilderness. And God had blessed them. God had brought them into the promised land and here they were in homes which had solid walls, which had roofs, which weren't in danger of collapse, which didn't need to be taken up, taken down and put up again. Weren't we blessed, they said, to have homes? And we reflect on that also. We are blessed. Each one of us is blessed to have the protection of a home. And some of the things which we take for granted uh, in our everyday living are real blessings also. An efficient sewage system. How, how much more basic do you get than that? And yet, how great a blessing. Did we not have it? Think of the squalor and the disease, the infant mortality, a whole host of other things uh, which would spoil uh, our lives. We thank God for every blessing on this day of thanksgiving. So, the, day, the Feast of Tabernacles looked back and gave thanks to God. Also, it looked forward and looked forward to the messianic reign when God would send his Holy Spirit. A friend uh, commented uh, on the fact that he thought that the, the big TV drama Bodyguard had ended uh, rather disappointingly, had kind of fizzled out. Uh, there were a lot of loose ends, he thought, and uh, you know, it hadn't been the ending that he had anticipated. But of course that is what uh, TV and film directors do, isn't it? When they want to spin off another season, uh, they ensure that there are lots of loose ends at the end so that people are, if it's been good at all, people are wanting more. There's a demand, there's an appetite 
for season two, season three. Anticlimax then uh, fosters uh, an appetite for uh, something uh, to come. Now, in the Feast of Tabernacles, there was an element of anticlimax which meant that the people wanted more. Uh, in the later period, uh, 400 years before the coming of Jesus, uh, there came to be established a water-bearing ceremony. And it went like this. Every day, water was drawn from the Pool of Siloam, and a solemn procession was made to the temple, to the water gate of the temple. And there, uh, the procession halted, and the ram's horn was blown. And then uh, they, they moved on to the altar of the temple where the water was poured into a silver bowl on the east side of the altar. Now this happened every day for seven days. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was unusual in that although it was referred to as a week-long ceremony, there was actually an eighth day. And the eighth day was called the Great Day of the Feast. It was a Sabbath, even although it may not have fallen on a Saturday. There was no work allowed. It was the great day of the feast. And so you would expect that the water-pouring ceremony was going to come to a climax also. But no. On the great day of the feast, there was no water-pouring ceremony. This ceremony, uh, which was speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is often pictured in terms of, of, of water, of, think of uh, Ezekiel's vision of the, the water flowing from the temple that would bring life and would even make the Dead Sea uh, be populated with fish. It would come, become teeming with fish again. Water, a picture of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we have this festival and it's pointed to the, the Spirit coming and for day after day, there is the blowing of trumpet, there's the processing all the way from the Pool of Siloam to the temple, there's the careful pouring of water, and it's all building up to a great, a great anticlimax, because on the eighth day, nothing. And the reason? The Spirit hadn't been given yet. Because the Holy Spirit is connected with the work of Jesus. Before the Spirit would be given to all of God's people, Jesus must first die, rise again, and ascend to the right hand of the Father. And now it begins to make a bit of sense, doesn't it? Why it was that it was in the great day of the feast that Jesus stands up in the temple and says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Friends, the spirit of God is not an energy, not a force of some kind. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit's work is to bring Jesus to us. To bring Jesus in all his joy and power, all his uh, comfort, all his love. 
into the experience of the believer. And in the Old Testament times, there was a longing for something that they did not yet have. Something which they couldn't receive because Jesus, the Messiah, hadn't yet come. Uh, and there was a sense, every time you went up to the Feast of Tabernacles and you, you either took part in this water ceremony or you watched them drawing water, coming to the temple and dramatizing the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was a sense in which the worshipper was bound to say to himself or herself, Lord, this is great. This is wonderful. We are having such a good time. Oh, there must be so much more than this. And that feeling of there must be so much more than this is something which everyone who's not a Christian encounters at some time. You get glimpses of God's goodness and beauty in your life. You have these moments which uh, you treasure, uh, delights that make your heart sing, uh, things which are gifts from God. And so long as you don't know Jesus, they only make you ache for more. It's a desperate disappointment when that something more seems to elude you, more joy more peace, more love. And each one of us wants to know that our life is counting for something, that our life is impacting on people around us. Each one of us wants to be a blessing. And Jesus promised in John 7 that uh, if we believed in him and received the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would flow from us also. In other words, it would be a blessing to others around us. And so, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, comes and, and refreshes us and brings Jesus' presence near to us and also enables us to be a blessing to others around us. How thankful we should be to live on this side of all that the Feast of Tabernacles pointed to. How thankful we are to know the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. We thank God for the harvest, for the Spirit, and we thank God for our hope, thirdly. Today we're giving thanks that, uh, by God's grace, the world is productive. The world is a very fruitful place. Once again, God has honoured his covenant that there is seed time and there is harvest. Farms throughout the world have fed the billions that live on this planet. But there's also sadness in our world. We're mourning today, along with people in Indonesia, that earthquake and tsunami took the lives of hundreds. This world is a wistful place. Uh, it's a place that's yearning for healing and sin brought in that convulsion that we see in the world where volcano and tsunami earthquake and fire and war 
and exploitative employers and abusive spouses and drug dealers and all kinds of wickedness spoil the world, spoil our lives. And our wistfulness is that we long for a world in which there weren't these things to mar what is good. And praise God, his word tells us that a day is coming when the world will be renewed, when sin will be wiped out, when we will be in a world in which righteousness dwells. The old order of things will be done away with, a new world will be ushered in, And the prophets speak of this often in terms of the festival of tabernacles. They speak of a time of renewal and of just as people throng to Jerusalem, people will throng to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 2. In these last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It's a beautiful picture of restoration, and it's based upon the the feast. The nations now, not simply Israel, but the nations going up to Jerusalem to acknowledge Jesus as king in a new world where peace now reigns, where sin is banished where there is shalom, wholeness. So on this day, we thank God for our food and our homes, for all good gifts around us which are sent from heaven above. And we thank him for the Holy Spirit who has brought new life and joy to us. And we thank you that we are people of hope, who are waiting on the Lord to come again and renew this world. Amen. May God bless to us the preaching of his word.